Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It is good to be here. I'm about as Loma Linda as you can get. I grew up right down University on San Mateo Drive. Spent a lot of my childhood there. Um, Believe it or not, on those rare Sabbaths where my mom was maybe under the weather, feeling too tired to go to church, I would actually walk from my house over here and sit in the side transept. Uh, At the time, Elder uh, Loveless was the pastor here, taking you back. Um, Attended Lomeland Academy my last two years of high school. Used to play at Gentry Gym. You remember that gym? Like a little spaceship. Death Star, something. Right, you remember those days, Louie. So, uh, yeah, even, even in my book, uh, oh, I'm doing the plug. I'm not doing the plug. No, no I'm not. It's on Amazon, Apple, um, <laughs> audio. It, but listen, that's, that's beneath me. I even talk about roughing it on the streets of Loma Linda, California. Yeah, yeah, you're hardcore, man. If you're out here in the LL, man, come on. So what a privilege to be here. My first uh, pastoral assignment was at Campus Hill Church. You guys still love Campus Hill, right? Okay, good, good, yeah. They are looking down on you a little bit, just a little bit, (laughs) just a little bit. Um, But yeah, I had my assignment here, so I spent my first three and a half years in pastoral ministry here in Loma Linda. So this is is really special to be here. Thank you, uh, Elder Randy Roberts, for uh, opening your pulpit for me to spend some time with your, your church, and uh, we're going to get right into the word. Amen? Amen? We're in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. I was expecting like a smaller group here early in the morning. You know, usually the 144,000, the, the remnant are here, but this is, this is well attended. You guys are really holy. All right. So it's already been read, and I just want to start with uh, the first uh, few verses again here. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity for us to delve into your word. As we open our hearts to you, we ask you to open your heart to us. May we feel your heart. In this message, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. No room left. No room left. It's really interesting because many of us have grown up with this idea that Jesus wasn't very popular, that his message turned so many people off, but it's not actually true. There were a lot of people that followed Jesus, that loved Jesus. Jesus back then was a rock star. Even he said, if Y'all don't shout, the rocks will, right? He was very popular, even when he was trying to get away from people. You remember the time he fed the 5,000 families? Not just 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not including women and children. It was 5,000 families. So it was like maybe 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people. He was actually trying to get away from folk because he had just heard about the death of John, his cousin. And without social media, the Bible says that 20,000 people just show up in a lonely place. Jesus was insanely popular. 
Even when he was trying to get away from folk and hide out in a home, they would hear about it and they would pack it out. What we fail to see is that it was the rulers, those in power that were threatened by Jesus. That's the reason why he was taken in the middle of the night. Had they tried to take him during the Sabbath worship service, they would not have been successful. Not even Rome wanted to touch Jesus. He was very popular. He attracted people. And the Bible says that he was home and there was no room left. I want to say something to you because you may not experience this here at Loma Linda University Church because this is kind of the Mecca of Adventism. But you know, in the rest of this country, there's a lot of churches that are struggling, that are emptying out, a lot of schools that are shutting down. We have a problem in our denomination right now. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all. You want to know what that word means in the Greek? All. <laughs> all. I will draw all people. When Jesus is in the house, I believe Amen. it gets packed out. Amen. We need more of Jesus. And not just talking about Jesus, but living like Jesus, loving like Jesus. I've never, I've never, I've never grown tired of, of, of hearing this. It makes me smile when people say, Pastor, the problem with our church is that we need more of the truth. We need more end-time messages. That's the problem. That's why the churches are emptying out. We need more of the truth, more doctrine. But Jesus says, I am the truth, the way. And the life. The truth is not doctrine. The truth is not words. The truth is a person. When you talk about hearing more about the truth, we want to hear about Jesus. Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. I like this one quote from, I sometimes call her Auntie Ellen, but I'll, today I'll call her Sister White. She writes in an article in Signs of the Times, March 17, 1887. Oh, her stuff got really good around this time. She says, the shortness of time is frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend. How many, how many grew up, your parents would say that, Lord's coming soon, you better get your stuff together. You better start living right. You better only listen to heritage singers. Listen to what she says here. This should not be the great motive with us, for it savors of selfishness. All right? I'm going to plug the, the Dr. Baptiste's book again. Selfish. Very it, 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 it savors of selfishness. You're, 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 you're only thinking of yourself. You're, you're only concerned about not being lost. She says, it is necessary that the tares, is it necessary that the tares of the day of God should be held before us? That we may be compelled to right action through what? Fear? Oh, come on now. A lot of us got our lives together because we were scared. Remember Y2K? She says, it ought not be so. Jesus is attractive. Ooh, 
that's a good word. Jesus is attractive. He is full of love, mercy, and compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through all of the rough pathways of life. Jesus is attractive. Anytime someone wants to compel you to get your life together out of fear, it will always be the wrong motivation. If you are striving for heaven because you're afraid of hell, it is always the wrong motivation. Jesus is attractive. The gospel is attractive. The character of God is attractive. The truth is attractive. And if it is not an attractant, if it is not bringing people to our churches and to our schools, then we may not be preaching it the right way. We may not be teaching it the right way. Jesus is attractive. So the Bible says there was no room left. Oh, I, I, I hope we can get to that point again. I know some of us in our, in our eschatology, things must get worse before Christ comes. But there are a couple of little snippets throughout the gospel that, that give me a little bit hope. When Jesus in Matthew 24 is talking about the end times and, and telling us the signs of the times, he talks about wars and rumors of wars. He says, but the, the end is not yet come. And then he says in Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel, this good news will go out to all of the world as a testimony. And then the end shall come. Oh, that's a good word. The last sign of the time is the good news being lived out as a testimony in all of the world. Daniel 2 also prophesies that Jesus, the rock, he, he smashes those nations, that statue, and then it begins to grow until it feels just Loma Linda, California. Remember that prophecy? <laughs> just the blue zone of Loma Linda, right? Daniel 2 says it, it begins to fill the whole world. Amen. Jesus tells Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, the church is on the offense, not the defense. We're not huddled up in our sanctuary, afraid of the world. The world better be afraid of us. We have the good news. We have the truth. We know Jesus, and Jesus is attractive. I hope when Christ comes, the only thing he has to make new are a few trees. That we've already begun planet restoration. Amen? Amen. We've already begun to make this world new again. May God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, you know the word. Let's continue on here. So it says, some, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening above the roof, uh, uh, in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. It's interesting here. Again, Jesus is popular. There's a lot of people around him, and they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. As attractive as Jesus is, this may hurt your feelings a little bit, as attractive as Jesus is, his church is often not very attractive. His bride is not often attractive. There are many people that want to see Jesus, are drawn by the hope and the, and, and the, the beautiful picture of who he is, but, but the church can sometimes get in the way. They want to bring their problems to Christ. They, they, they want to inquire of him. They want to know him better, but we can get in the way. 
I've spent a lot of my time in ministry with young people. And the stories are very similar. Young people who do not believe in God anymore are agnostic. And it's not because they don't have any faith at all and not because they don't want to have faith. It's often because they get discouraged by some of us. And listen, I get it. I get it. I, I grew up in a, in a time when I, I wasn't allowed to listen to certain music. I wasn't allowed to dress a certain way. And it was constantly hovering over me. I get it. I get it. I grew up in a church where the, the, the Sabbath day was the holy day and you could not even smile. My home church growing up was 16th Street Church in San Bernardino. It's a black church. And back in the day, black churches worshipped very similarly to white churches. The only thing that was different was the pigment in the pew. We had preludes and postludes. We, we sang hymns. We didn't do gospel music. That's the world. Thank you, Kansas Avenue, that you took, you took it to another level. You didn't, we didn't sing gospel music. Choral anthems, that's it. And you could only say amen maybe four times in the service. Maybe. And only on the real important statements, like Jesus is coming again. Amen. If you said amen five times, people started turning around and looking at you. This ain't no Sunday church. You don't be saying, come on, pastor, come on, preacher, talk. But in the 80s, things started to shift. So I grew up in a very traditional, conservative black church. In the 80s, uh, things started to shift, and, and, and we started incorporating gospel music. And then there was swaying. I only went one, two, so don't. And I remember when they introduced drums for the first time. The pastor put drums in the corner of the church and let them sit there for an entire year without being touched. Conditioning us. But eventually I grew up appreciating gospel music. There are some that would say, but that's the music in the club. I didn't go to the club. I'm from Loma Linda. Ain't no clubs in Loma Linda. My first introduction to live drums was in a worship service. For me, the drums were holy. It was set apart. But I grew up still struggling with the culture of the church. I got to a point where I believed that God was just boring. And that doing good, you just had to suffer through it in order to get the reward. So it didn't matter if you weren't enjoying life. You weren't supposed to enjoy life. Wait until heaven. But heaven wasn't even attractive to me because the way it was painted, literally painted, it was like a petting zoo. And I'm like, I'm going to spend eternity petting animals and looking at clouds? That doesn't sound like heaven. That sounds like, well, I'm not going to say that. 
So what eventually happened is that I came to know Jesus for myself. And this is my challenge to those who get discouraged by the church because they see hypocritical people in the church and they can't see over the crowd, you know, like Zacchaeus. The crowd is just too tall, too uppity. The crowd gets in the way. I get it. There are hypocritical people in the church. There are hypocritical people that are preaching to you and teaching you. We all are hypocrites. Even the one staring at you in the mirror. There are hypocrites at Chuck E. Cheese, hypocrites at Disneyland, hypocrites at Walmart. They're everywhere. So when you come to church, don't be surprised to bump into human beings. But that cannot be your excuse for not seeing Jesus. And that's why I love these four men. They don't allow it to be an excuse. Now, I pray that you as a church, you as a body of Christ, always make Jesus accessible with your smile, with your warmth. As Jesus is attractive, you also should be attractive. Amen? Amen. You should also be kind and loving. People should talk about you at work like, oh, he is the nicest person. The nicest! We should be ushering people to Jesus. They should be able to see Christ and know that God is real because they've experienced our authenticity. But you can't let people be your excuse for not seeing God. If you have to roll up your sleeves and put some work into it, then put some work into it. And that's exactly what they did. They found their way on top of the roof. I don't know how. Maybe somebody might have helped them. I don't know. But they start tearing apart the roof, which I think is really out of bounds. <laughs> I know people talk about their prayers not reaching past the ceiling, but this is next level. They start tearing apart the roof, and Jesus is preaching and teaching, and the roof begins to fall on top of his head, and he has to stop. The Bible says they lower their friend before Jesus, and then the Word of God says these words, when he saw their faith. Well, that's a good word. When he saw their faith. You want to know what their faith looked like? You want to know what it looked like? This is what their faith looked like. Watch, watch. This is what it looked like. <laughs> they couldn't even get their prayer request out. There are no words exchanged here. It's just this. You want to know why? Because faith should be seen. Faith should be seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's substantive. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. This is why James tells us in his, his email in chapter 2, he says that faith without works is dead. It's make-believe. It doesn't even exist. 
And this is not the kind of faith that you have to do in order to, to be saved. That's, that's the, that when we read that chapter, we get it wrong. He's not talking about working our way to heaven. It is a gift that God gives us. There is nothing that we can do to add to our salvation or add to the gift of God. What James is talking about is saving people in their present predicament. He's talking about feeding the hungry and sheltering the homeless, that we are salvation to them. What you do with you reach. This is our purpose. Listen, I'm going to keep it real with you. Loma Linda is like this, this special kind of like citadel, this, 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 this city on a mountain that is just cut off. There's Loma Linda and then there's San Bernardino. You're not even really a part of the Inland Empire. You're like your own like little country. And yet when God calls us to feed the hungry and, and to, to look after the homeless and the widowed and the orphaned, you know, it's kind of hard in Loma Linda because we're always preaching to the choir. But boy, once you pass over Anderson Street, once you get past Tippecanoe, my favorite street in the world, it's always fun to say it. When I was here as a pastor, I worked with one of the professors, nursing professors here at the, at the university, and they, she had a project called Operation Jessica where she would take nurses and, and we would work with at-risk youth. Really, this is where ministry is at its best. What we often complain about in our churches has to do with the color of the carpet We'll complain about instruments and what is really holy and styles of music. I remember when you guys uh, uh, renovated this place and some were talking about, it's like a studio in here now. Remember those days? Oh, I'm bringing up old wounds. My bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Pastor, all these lights, it's a studio. This is a sanctuary, this is a church. But do you see how all of these changes allow the gospel to go out through all the world? Amen. Amen? Listen, at Vallejo Drive, man, we're, we're looking at you. We want to be like you. <laughs> I use you often as inspiration. I said, well, you know what they do at Loma Linda University Church. And once I say that, they're all right, pastor, we'll do it then. <laughs> but we have to be intentional, right? Amen. Our faith must be seen. One of the things that my church stands for is that they're a place where grace is unconditional, unconditional grace. But sometimes in the worship experience, we don't actually see it reflected in how we worship. When I got there, they were telling me, we need to go to two services. Two services, Pastor, two services. One for the young people and all the contemporary music and one for us. I said, absolutely not. We're going to try to do it the way that I believe God would want us to do it, and that is for all of us to worship together. So on a given Sabbath, not just on Black History Month or Black History Sabbath, we'll have gospel, we'll have contemporary Christian music, we'll have choral anthems, we have it all. And those who complain and say it's still too much, I say it's 10 minutes you have to endure, just 10 minutes of drums. We got 10 minutes of drums and 15 minutes of organ. Stop complaining. Amen. 
And let me tell you something. I had to go through the, the transitions as well. When I, I told you, I grew up in a traditional black church, and I had to go through it. I remember the first time hearing contemporary Christian music, I rolled my eyes. I was having to preach at all these youth events, and I could not stand the music until one day it just hit me. And I said, I like this song. Draw me close to you. It's like a hymn now, right? Shout to the Lord. Oh, okay. I'll shout to you, Jesus. Then I was a chaplain at PUC around more music like that. But the way that we come together as a family, the way that we integrate, the way that we diversify, the way in which cultures and generations can worship together as a community, you must be intentional. You have to tear apart the roof. And you're going to destabilize some things that people won't feel comfortable with, but the goal is always to allow space and opportunity for people to see Jesus. You do whatever it takes. Amen? Amen? So they lower their friend before Jesus, and the Bible says he sees their faith. May your faith be seen. I don't want to hear any more prayers. May your prayers be nonverbal. May all of your prayers be action. I pray for the homeless. Well, I will know you're praying for the homeless when I see you out there. Amen? Where your money goes, where your time and energy goes. So Jesus, he sees, he sees their faith. He sees their faith. And the very next thing he does seems completely to miss the mark. He looks at the man on the mat and says, my brother, your sins are forgiven you. And of course, the friends that brought the man to Jesus are like, um, sir, that's cute. But we actually brought him here because it's kind of obvious. <laughs> he can't walk. He's a paralytic. Can you do one of your, you know, wave your hand, throw mud on him, spit on him, whatever it takes, just make it happen. And Jesus is like, you want to see the fireworks? You want to see the fireworks? Yeah, fireworks. My brother, your sins are forgiven. Completely forgiven. It's interesting because it seems like Jesus doesn't get the point. But he's actually trying to draw us to the point. People begin to murmur. They say, they say, who is this man who thinks that he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. Jesus knows what they're thinking. And this is important. That's the, this is the word of God. He knows in his spirit what they're thinking. And Christ knows what you're thinking. Most of us that talk about unity and, oh, we want to see unity, more unity, what we're actually clamoring for is conformity. Wow. Not unity, conformity. I want you to like my music. I want you to like this style. I want you to, I want you to embrace my preferences. And this is why it's so important what Paul says, and this has already been highlighted in Philippians 2, have this same mind that was in Christ Jesus, right? Not valuing your opinion, uh, not your needs over someone else's, but their needs are esteemed above yours. That Jesus, as an example, emptied himself who is God, who is very much God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of. So he empties himself and comes to earth. We're not willing to empty ourselves enough. Unity already implies diversity. 
Think about it. When he talks about being a part of the same body, he says you are many parts, different parts. Anytime we're talking about uniting, we're talking about bringing together different pieces. Unity implies diversity, and we should have it in every worship experience. I'm going to say something, but I'm only here for a day, and you may never ask me back. Your worship experience should have pieces in it that are comfortable for people who did not grow up here. Stuff that's accessible to them, that they can connect with. You don't ever want to get to the point where you say, well, you'd be more comfortable over here at this church. Right? When I was in Canada speaking for a camp meeting, Friday night, I was up there and, uh, uh, on the rostrum, and there were only black ministers on the rostrum with me. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't know much about Canada, but I thought that was interesting. I'm not going to say where, because that wouldn't be fair. The next morning, I come Sabbath morning, and they're turning people away. It's packed. They're turning people away. And I said, well, I'm the speaker. I, I, I have to get in. So they let me in. The place is packed, 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 packed. Afterwards, I'm thinking this is just a typical worship experience for camp meeting. Afterwards, people are coming up to me and saying, you don't even know what happened today. I was like, well, God was good. Oh, no, you don't understand what happened today. So I was told the story by several people so I know it's true. They said, in this conference... On one weekend, we invite the black churches because we have a black speaker. On the other weekend, we invite the white churches because we have a white speaker. And so this was supposed to be the weekend for the black speaker. You preached on Friday and people got confused. So on Sabbath morning, white congregants and black congregants all came together under the same tent And they said, it was amazing. We were laughing at the same stuff, saying amen at the same stuff. And I wanted to say, duh. (laughs) My point is, we must be intentional. When we're intentional about diversity, when we're intentional about inclusion, when we're intentional about these things, Jesus is able to do what he always wanted to do to begin with, and that is reach the heart. My brother, my sister, your sins are forgiven. He then tells them, what do you think is easier to do, to tell this man to get up, pick up, and walk, or to say his sins are forgiven? Now, I wanted to say, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. The hard stuff is to say, get up, pick up, and walk. But what do you think is easier for Jesus? It would take even a drop of sweat for him to say, get up, pick up, and walk. But to forgive our sins, it would cause him to break out in a bloody sweat. Jesus did the greatest thing the universe has ever seen by looking at us and saying, you're forgiven. All wrongs, all failures... All systems, all of it, forgiven. 
Thank you for making a hole in the roof. Thank you for letting me see your faith. Now I know you actually do believe in love. Now I know you actually do believe in grace. Your sins are forgiven you. May this be that community. And when those sins are forgiven, and when those hearts are healed and they're whole, healthy hearts do something that I absolutely love. It's what this man does. The Bible says he immediately gets up, picks up his mat and gets out of there. Because when hearts are healed and whole and healthy, they can't help but be fruitful. And we see it in everything that people do. They become so much more attractive. Their fruit is not plastic fruit. Plastic fruit is pretty. It doesn't taste good. So Loma Linda University Church. Pave the way. The world is watching you. You're the largest. You're the wealthiest. You're the city on a hill. Show us. Lead us. So that next time the Kansas Avenue praise team or choir shows up, it won't just be in February. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? We disinvite you. Right? It becomes a part of your worship experience because music is educational, right? It's the one reason why I even tell our young adults at my church, I say, you are always going to hear a prelude. You will always hear a postlude, and you will sit through this postlude. You will not exit during the postlude because you are still learning music. Yes. We are learning how to glorify God in many different ways, many different styles, and we want everybody to do this together because what are we going to do when we get to heaven? What are we going to do on the earth made new? Yes. Yes. What does the song of the redeemed sound like? And what instruments do they use? It won't even matter. Because you've been forgiven. And grace has transformed you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to look at this story and realize how intentional we must be in order to be attractive just like you, Jesus. How intentional we must be to help carry people to who and where you are. How intentional we must be in tearing apart the roof and breaking down systems. How intentional we must be to be gracious, to forgive. So, Father, we thank you for this moment where we can highlight on this special Sabbath what I believe you desire for us to be every Sabbath of the year. All-inclusive, united, looking just like you, attractive. Transform our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.